Hello Church, this weekend I'd like to bring you a message entitled Loving Your Neighbours, It Only Takes a Spark. Who's my neighbour? My neighbour could be my family members, my relative, my friends, my colleagues, someone along the streets. They are our neighbours and God wants us to share His love and share the gospel with them. And how do we do that? Well, it only takes a spark. I'm not sure whether you remember the song. Some of us learned it when we were in school, campfire, boys brigade. It only takes a spark, pass it on. You know, we light up the candles and when we pass the lights around and very soon the whole room is lit up with a candle light. It only takes a spark to get the fire going and soon all those around will warm up to its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once we experienced it, we want to pass it on. Now, let me tell you a story of uh, this friend of mine called Jabez. He was a drug addict in and out of prisons a number of times. And when he was in prison, one of those times, I happened to be volunteering with the prison fellowship. Weekdays, I will put on the uniform. On a Sunday, I will be a volunteer. I will go in to preach at the chapel service, sometimes sit on the floor with them to conduct Bible study. And that was the Sunday when I preached a message and he raised his hand. He responded to the altar call. He became a Christian. When he came out, his life was changed. He went to a halfway house, Bible school, and then God gave him the gift. Original recipe, bakute. I think some of you will love bakute. He started two stores and now his frozen products are even exported to China now. When I received the spark from someone else many years ago, I passed it on to him. And when he came out from prison, he passed it on to others. In fact, 80% of his employees are ex-offenders and many of them come to know the Lord. I remember I visited him one of those uh, weekday afternoons. He pulled down the shutter every Thursday afternoon. The pastor will come and they will conduct Bible study, preach the gospel, and many of his employees will become Christians. Of course, then, how did I become a Christian? Who passed this spark? Who passed this candlelight over to me? At the age of 21, I was a student in uh, Perth, Australia. I was uh, studying there, and uh, there were this overseas Christian fellowship. So they reached out to me in my first year. I became a Christian. In my second year, I became the assistant Bible study leader. In my third year, I joined the committee. In my fourth year, I became the president, the fastest promotion anyone could have experienced. And of course, when I came back, I joined the prisons and became a prison officer. And if not for God, if not for this group of Christians who reached out to me, I can tell you there wouldn't have been a national yellow ribbon project or a Dads for Life movement in Singapore. Now, you will never know when you reach out to a neighbour, when you love your neighbour, when you share God's love, what God's going to do through him in the days ahead. I'm sure by now you will uh, uh, notice that I'm talking about evangelism. I'm speaking about the Great Commission. When we think about the Great Commission, you know, for me, I can't help but think about 1978, the Billy Graham Crusades. Thousands of people found God and received salvation. I even sometimes talk to young people and they say, my father, when he was 14 years old in 1978, somehow God led him to leave his house, some HDB you know, flat, travel by bus all the way to the stadium and non-believer became a believer, totally transformed and now the whole family become Christians. Now, 1978 was the year when thousands become Christians because of one man, Dr. Billy Graham. And of course, in 2018, 40 years after that, Singapore was planning uh, another major event at the stadium. We call it the Celebration of Hope. In the run-up to this uh, big stadium event, I 
was fortunate enough to be invited by uh, Bishop Rennes Ponaya. He was the chairman of Celebration of Hope. So he wanted to galvanize the churches, mobilize the leaders to, to participate in this uh, once in 40 years event. So I remember seated there during the luncheon and he was talking about why is it so important for the church to uh, evangelize and to fulfill the Great Commission. But one thing he said, I cannot forget, even up to now, two years after that, because he said the church has stopped growing. The church has stopped growing. In fact, he showed a graph and he called it the plateauing curve. He said the church has plateaued. In the 70s, in the 80s, the church, there were explosive growth. But when it comes to the 90s, the year 2000, and in the recent years, the church has stopped growing. Even more recently, the census of Singapore proved that the church indeed has stopped growing. It's just 18%. But if you just uh, count the Protestant churches, we are talking about just 12%. In the last 10 years, the church has remained at 12%. Now, even though the event celebration of hope have come, have gone, but last year, especially during the circuit breaker, God keep reminding me of this curve, the plateauing curve. And I couldn't get rid of it. So I went before the Lord. I said, God, what are you trying to tell me? What do you want me to do about it? You know, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. And God began to speak to me. And one of the verses that God used to speak to me is found in Isaiah eleven fifteen. Now, let me read that to you. The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. With a scorching wind, He will sweep His hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it into seven streams so that anyone can cross over in sandals. And in the NLT version, it says to divide it into seven streams so that it can easily be crossed on foot. Now, there are two parts to this verse. Let's take it slowly. The first part is God's going to do it. The second part is we have to follow. We have to cooperate. The first part is the Lord will dry up. You know, if there's an obstacle in front, the challenges in front, there's an Egyptian sea in front, if there's a river in, 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 in front, God's job is to remove these obstacles. God's job is the hard part. He's going to remove the obstacles. He will break it into seven streams so that our part is the easy part. Our job is just to cross over. And, and if you say, do I need a lot of logistics, a lot of planning, a lot of resources, you know, build boats, you know, the ship or whatever, you know, to cross over the sea. No, our job is just to cross over in sandals, meaning it will be so dried up that even with foot, we can cross over. Of course, I went before the Lord. I said, God, evangelism is not so easy because I've spoken to pastors, I've spoken to Christians, leaders, and say, wow, last few years, I have not even saved one soul. Pastors, some of the pastors I know have even stopped talking about evangelism because the, the members don't want to hear about it. But as I went before the Lord, through this verse, the Lord began to speak to me that He will do the difficult part and we will just do the easy part. And of course, I went and ask God, what is my role? What is my role? And the Lord dropped into my head a question. And I heard this question loud and clear last year during Circuit Breaker. Do you think you can bring one pre-believer to Christ if you are given 10 years to do so? One, just one, if given 10 years. And of course, my response to, to, to the voice of God was, of course. You know, I think my track record was quite good all these years, you know. Uh, uh, and I realized that the Lord wasn't asking me the question, he wanted me to ask other people the same question. So I began to ask the same question to pastor, to, to Christian friends, to, to, to Christian leaders, and almost every one of them, within seconds, will look at me and say, Jason, of course it can be done if you give me 10 years. In fact, some of them look at me and say, Jason, you look down on me, is it? <laughs> I don't need 10 years. Lah. 
one year can already. Or some of them say, if you give me 10 years, I can save more than one. I can save five, I can save 10. I say, wonderful, you set a higher bar, but I set a low bar for everybody so that everyone can cross over, so that everyone can participate. And it dawned upon me that if I can ask every Christian, including you, this same question, and within seconds, if you can tell me the answer is yes, of course, you don't tell me yes, you tell God the answer is yes, guess what? Guess what? The Christian population in Singapore will explode from the current 12% to 24% in 10 years. Never happened before because if you look at the last 10, 20 years, we have plateaued. But if every Christian can trust God and believe in God that each of us can save one, save a neighbor, share Christ with a neighbor, and he or she will come to believe in Christ and have received salvation, the Singapore churches will explode. And of course, the Lord lead me to call this the One for Jesus movement. Now, some of you know that I've started the Yellow Ribbon Project, a national movement, Second Chance movement. I started the Dads for Life movement, a turning hearts of fathers to the children. It's like God saying, Jason, I want you to use everything that I've taught you through these two previous movements, channel it into this third movement, which is the One for Jesus movement. Now, it is an evangelistic movement to mobilize every Christian in every church to bring at least one pre-believer to Christ within the 10-year time frame. In the past, Dr. Billy Graham, one person saving thousands. It is not easy to find another Dr. Billy Graham where one person can save thousands. But what if we can mobilize the thousands, each of these thousands saving one each? We will still get the thousands. In the past, one saving thousands. But in recent times, I believe God is looking for the thousands to save one. And we will still be able to save thousands. So One for Jesus is not just an evangelistic movement. It is also a unity movement because we're talking about one, saving the one. But we need to be one. We need to, we need to be united in order to do this. Now, let me explain. Let's say three of you come together and say, we believe in this. We want to do this. God is leading us to do this. So maybe you have three friends. You write down the names. You have five. Your family members, your colleagues, you write down the names. Maybe I have 10. I write down the names and we commit to help each other to save the one. One for you, one for you, one for me. And what if after praying, after a few months, this friend of mine managed to save one? And you know what he'll do? He will commit to help both of us to save our ones. And what if two of us manage to save one? We, two of us, will help him to save one. It will get easier and easier. Now, what if three churches, three pastors who are friends for many years come together and say, you know, you have 200 members, you have 200, I have, I have 100. Why don't we commit ourselves? We challenge our church members to do this. And what if he doubled his church members in the three years, he is going to commit 400 church members to help both of us to reach one. And what if uh, uh, he has a Li Nansing in his church? What if he has a Jabez in his church? What if uh, someone who has miraculously healed of cancer in his church? He will offer those resources to both of us so that together we can unite our resources, combine our resources to reach the loss for Christ. You know, if you ask me, what methods do I use? Well, the answer God gave me because I asked God the same question, right? It is found in 1 Corinthians 9.22. All things to all men, so as to win some. So if you want to use Alpha, go ahead. If you want to do street evangelism, go ahead. If you want to do door by door, block by block, go ahead. And if you don't know what to do, join one of these people. And some of us may just be uh, uh, interested to share a 
testimony, a video testimony with some friends. Some of us may want to put a powerful testimony on our Facebook page. So all things to all men. And some of you may want, even want to start a prison ministry or join a prison ministry. Some of you may want to speak to the Hokkien people, you know, uh, the, the seniors, you know, uh, the youth campus ministry. Whatever it takes, all things to all men, so as to win some. You know, in my own journey, I remember when I was a student, after fellow students reached out to me and I became a Christian, I started to reach out to other students who are not yet Christians. In fact, after I became a Christian, a lot of friends look at me and say, hey, what happened to you? Because before that, I was quite a difficult pre-believer. It was not easy to reach out to me. So after I started, you know, in the hostel, I started to look down and say grace and all the non-Christians around me say, hey, Jason, what happened to you? And I started to share Christ with them. And guess what? A lot of my pre-believer friends, by the time I left Australia to come back to Singapore, many of them found Christ. And I remember when I came back to Singapore, I still have to serve national service, right? NS. Now, some of us don't like NS, but I can tell you in that two years, guys, if you were to give that two years to God, God can use that two years through you, save that one that God wants to save. I remember one weekend, I was on duty. That meant that I could not go to church. You know, for us Christians, if I can't go to church, it means something is missing, something is wrong. A lot of us wouldn't want to do the weekend duty, but I always believe that if God were to allow me on a weekend, do some, something else and I cannot come to church, that means God has a reason for that. So I remember I went for my duty over the weekend, happened to cross over the Sunday. Now, it, in the army camp, in the battalion, weekend duties means there are minimum three people, the officer, the sergeant, and the clerk. I happen to be the officer. And during nighttime, the officer and the clerk are supposed to man the office. And during the daytime, I look at the sergeant, I say, I don't think God want me to reach out to him because he was quite aloof, not very friendly. And by the end of the night, I have to be with the clerk, manning the office. And of course, started to have conversations. Hey, what happened to you? Uh, is this your first weekend duty? He said, no, this is my fourth weekend duty. I knew that he must have uh, extra duty. Something might have gone wrong with, it, with him. And of course, he AWOL, absent without leave. He ran away from camp and girlfriend problems. And I just found myself talking to him and I offered, can I share with you a Bible verse? And from one verse, two verses, three verses, can I pray for you? Of course, he said yes. And at the end of that weekend duty, he became a Christian. Following Sunday, he joined me to church. God never wastes anything. Even a duty, weekend duty, when you can't come to church, God can use it to reach that one. And of course, some, many of us are in cell groups, in small groups, Bible study groups. I remember I was a cell leader for a number of years and I used my cell group and through them, we reached out to our friends, our colleagues, and one time when my parents become Christian, my father had such a powerful testimony because he saw Jesus, he saw angels. I said, let's not waste that. I told my cell members and of course my dad shared with my cell members. And guess what? All of them said, can we invite our parents? Can we invite our parents, our pre-believer parents? And one weekend we organized a special session just for my dad to share his testimony. And one set of parents came down from Malaysia and that weekend, three parents, including the couple who came down from Malaysia, became Christians. As through a cell group, we can reach out to the neighbours, to our neighbours, to our parents. And of course, for a number of years, I was involved in the prison ministry. Every Sunday, I would go in. They are so hungry. Some of them are locked up for 10 years, for 15 years. They can't survive another week if they do not encounter Jesus. And many of them become Christians as a result of coming to the chapel services. And in the recent years, you know, two years ago, I wrote a book and uh, 
quite amazingly, God even used a book. God can use any book. But in my experience, God used a few pages of my book to save somebody because uh, someone read the book and then told me that she was actually reading the book in a hairdressing salon. She was reading and as she was reading while her hair was being done, she saw this page, this paragraph, and it reminded her that she has a friend that she was trying to reach out to for a number of years. And this passage, these paragraphs that I had written, and she believed that it would speak to this friend who was going through a difficult period. And she decided to take her smartphone, took a couple of uh, photos of the two, two pages, just sent it to her. And within minutes before she even finished uh, uh, doing her hair, the friend sent a message back and said, I just read it, I'm in tears. This is exactly what I needed. And of course, this friend of hers made an appointment with her and a few days later, this friend whom she was trying to reach out to became a Christian. Even through books, even through a few pages, a few paragraphs of a book potentially can save someone. And even Christian movies, you know, two years ago, you know, some of you know that I was involved in this uh, father's movement, Elijah 7000, and a group of fathers came together and said, why don't we do this? We just book a whole theater show a Christian movie and that movie was Overcomer. You can use any Christian movie. And we decided to invite our families, but also our pre-believer family members and even colleagues who are non-believers. And instead of bringing them to church, and some of them didn't want to go to church, we brought them to the cinema to watch a Christian movie. At the end, I still remember, I went up because we booked the whole cinema so we can uh, you know, uh, have a bit more time uh, to talk to the guests at the end of the, the, the movie viewing. So I took the mic, I shared a bit. Within 10 minutes, I gave the altar call and two hands. Distinctly, I remember looking at the cinema hall and two hands were raised, believing in Jesus. All things to all men, so as to win some. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, it says, I planted a seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. You know, in a football game now with the uh, Olympics going on, uh, football game, hockey, you can see that the ball being passed around. Not everybody will score the goal, but all of us have a duty to pass the ball towards the goalpost so that somebody can score the goal. But of course, in this verse, it's very clear. God is the one that ultimately that will make it grow. You know, when I told my wife last year about this one for Jesus that God has put on my heart, she said, no, Jason, 15 years ago when I was working at this other bank, we were conducting Alpha and I invited one pre-believer colleagues to come and he attended, he, he finished the whole Alpha course, but he never became a Christian. But only recently, I met him at Shenton Way, CBD area, and asked how he was. And he said he's become a Christian. He's attending church, going for Bible study. So my wife said, you know, I planted a seed. Someone else must have watered, but ultimately God gave the growth. So I would encourage you not to give up you may be the one planting the seed. As I was praying last year, I was asking God, is there a theme song, you know? Because, you know, one for Jesus could be the, the brand or, 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 or the, 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 the phrase that people use. Is there a song? Because when I was doing Yellow Ribbon Project, God led me to the song, Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Oak Tree. Tree. That was the theme song of the Yellow Ribbon Project. So God put this burden upon me to seek Him for a theme song. And guess what came to mind? It only takes a spark, pass it on. Very familiar song. You know, it's like the Lord saying to me that, you know, Jason, do a remake of this song because thousands, when they were younger, when they were teenagers, when they were in schools, 
they learned this song, but they never become a Christian. They just sang it during campfire. But now in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, if they sing this song again, this time they're going to be given a second chance to respond to God's call. You know, the lyrics of this song is very beautiful. It's written by Kurt Kaiser in 1969. It only takes a spark to get a fire going and soon all those around can warm up to its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you spread His love to everyone. You want to pass it on. You know, whenever God leads me to do something, God will give me confirmation because the path ahead is not going to be easy. But God will give confirmation to just encourage me to say, this is the way. Carry on. Carry on. You know why I want to share with you the lyrics of this song? Because these two sentences, that's how it is with God's love. Once you experienced it, you want to pass it on. You know, one of the first group that I shared this new burden with was the Elijah 7000 fathers. Some of you know that uh, there's a group every morning or every Saturday morning, they will gather to pray at 4.45 a.m. to 6 a.m. Because Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. So 4, 5, 6. So they need to gather before 4, 5, 6 a.m. to pray. And a few of them heard that God has given me this new burden for the Great Commission. And so, Jason, can you come and share with us at one of the morning prayer gatherings? So I said, sure. And it was on the 29th of August last year. I went, 4.45 a.m. I remember I was standing just outside the staircase about to go upstairs. And I was just checking the address, whether I found the right address. And when I turned, I saw this signboard. And guess what the signboard says behind this picture, which is the Mercedes car, this old Mercedes, just on the right side. And the signboard says, the Oikos Fellowship, experience God's love and pass it on. I can tell you, when I stood there at 4.45 a.m., it's like God speaking to me, Jason, share this with as many people as possible. It is from Him and not from man. And that, you know, I had goosebumps. And when I went up, of course, I told them about what happened as I was walking through the staircase. Now, many of us will be asking, what is the method of evangelism? How? The how of evangelism. But I want to share with you the heart of evangelism. As the Lord revealed to me last year, it's like the Lord saying, without the heart of evangelism, the how is meaningless. It's useless. I'm sure you know about the prodigal son story. There's a father with two sons, the older brother, the younger brother, and the younger brother, the younger son, squandered everything and left. Now, if I happen to be in this house, if I were to look at the father, you know what I will see? I will see a father that's yearning, longing, worrying about his lost son. He cannot sleep, he cannot eat. He'll be probably tossing and turning, and every now and then he'll go to the window, go to the door and look out, even walk further out, and wondering whether the lost son will come home. And of course, this lost son did come home finally. And the father ran towards him. Now, this scene is very familiar to me. You know why? Because I've got a younger brother who used to take drugs. Now, you'd be surprised. I'm a prison officer. But I had a younger brother before who used to take drugs. Thankfully, now he stopped taking drugs. But there was a time when he was a teenager. He dropped out of school before he started taking drugs. He was mixing around with the, the delinquent youths around the neighborhood. And as an older brother, the scene that I saw at home is my mom, my dad, every now and then they'll go to the window looking out, looking down. They couldn't sleep, they couldn't eat because my younger brother will come home very late at night. Sometimes he wouldn't even come home. I would see them tossing and turning and worrying. And there was one night I distinctly remember 
there were police cars driving around the neighborhood with the siren sounding. And uh, I remember I saw my dad, my mom jump out of bed, rush to the window and look down, wondering whether my younger brother would be arrested that night. Now, what did I do as an older brother? Did I stay at home and just watch all this happening? No. I felt like that I need to go and look for my lost brother because I saw the heart of my dad, I saw the heart of my mom for their son. I went downstairs, four stories, I went all over the place to look for him. You know, that's what Jesus did. Jesus understood the heart of God the Father for all of us lost sons and lost daughters. He didn't come down four stories, he came down from heaven to look for all of us. In fact, he did the most difficult part, he died on the cross. He died on the cross so that all of us can receive forgiveness. And through Christ, we can go back to God the Father. So the heart of evangelism is the heart of the Father. Once we can capture the heart of the Father, we will not be wondering what methods to use. We will leave the church. We will get out of these four walls. Get out even of your house to look for the lost. Could be your friend, could be your family, could be a neighbor, could be someone in the prisons, could be someone along the street. You know, Hebrews 2.11 says, for now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. No, when Jesus said, our father in heaven, he's inviting us into sonship, in, in, into being children of God. That's why Jesus left heaven to come down and look for us, the lost sons, the lost brothers and the lost sisters and to bring us home. John 10, 16 says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. But see, Jesus has lost sheep. He wants to bring them back. And in Matthew 18 verse 12, he says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? How many of us are willing to leave the 99 and go out to look for the one that is lost? You know, the fi final Bible verse I want to share with you is a verse that God kept bringing to me, especially last year. But for the last two, three years, I've been meditating on this, but during the COVID period, I just cannot not meditate on this verse. It was, it was so rich. And each time I read it, the Lord will speak to me again and again and again. It is found in John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending, you know, God the Father sent Jesus and Jesus sent us. You know, I'm a very lazy person. Meaning, I may know a Bible verse, but I do not know where it comes from. That means which chapter of the Bible, which book of the Bible. So at the time, I didn't know where this verse came from. It's just a verse that God dropped into my head. As the Father sent me, I sent you. And by December last year, that means the end of 2020, by December, God asked me, do you know where this verse comes from? I said, I don't know. Obviously, God wanted me to do a search, right? So a Google search, as the Father sent me, I sent you, Bible, and I found it, John 20, 21. And immediately, God spoke to me. The year 2021 will be the year that God's going to send many of us out. For the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. 2021. And the beautiful thing about this verse is this. You know, this verse was written when Jesus walked through the wall, walked through the door to his disciples and his disciples were hiding inside somebody's house. They were so afraid of the Jews. They are so afraid of the Pharisees. They're so afraid of the Roman soldiers because Jesus resurrected. They should be celebrating, 
But of course, they didn't know. It was with fear. It's very similar to what is happening now. All of us are hiding in our homes. There is fear because of something that's happening outside. Some of us are fearful because we dare not share the gospel for fear of being rejected, for being offend offensive. Just like the disciples at the time, they were in fear. But when Jesus walked through the door, walked through the wall, you know what's the first thing he said? Before, as the Father sent me, I sent you, the first thing he said was, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And I believe that's what we need. Even before we are sent out, we need to receive the peace of God. And Jesus breathed the Spirit into His disciples. And of course, we know that subsequently Pentecost happened. When the Spirit came down, they were filled with the Spirit, with bonus, with courage, and they went out despite the persecution, despite what was happening outside. And I believe this is the season God is preparing us. Even as we are hiding in our homes, even as we are afraid of what is happening out there, once we receive the Shalom peace, we will go out. You know, I've been sharing this message in a number of churches and even cell groups. And the first time last year when I shared with a group of fathers from our own church, a pastor, the worship pastor, Pastor Caleb, I still remember. Within a few days, he told his uh, mentees of three, four young men, he said, I heard this from Jason just the other day. And immediately all of them said, let's do this, pastor, let's do this together. And they came up with a few names each and they started to pray for each other. And a few days later, Pastor Caleb messaged the chat group that I was in and he said, guys, I couldn't sleep. I woke up in the middle of the night and God told me today, go and share the gospel with your father. <laughs> and his father is 70 over years old. And so he said, please pray for me. My father is pretty tough to share the gospel with. And by the end of the day, he sent back a picture of his, himself and the father at the beach. And he said, my father just said the sinner's prayer. And this Sunday, I'm going to bring him to church. I shared in another cell group, the same message of another church, it's an AG church. And guess what? Within two weeks, they have four salvations. I shared it in the marketplace ministry last year uh, in Shenton Way. And after that, they conducted Alpha. And there was one lady who messaged me. He, she said, I already saved one. By the end of December, before Christmas, I have asked God one more for Jesus. Not just one for Jesus, but one more for Jesus. But do you know who is the second person she was praying for? Her own daughter, her own daughter. And on Christmas Day, she messaged me and she said, Jason, my daughter just said the sinner's prayer. You know, I want to encourage you. One for Jesus. Who is the one that God is bringing to you? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Is it a colleague? If you are given 10 years to do so, do you think that you can save at least one pre-believer? Let's just close our eyes now and let me just pray for you. Even as we close our eyes, I just pray that the Lord will bring to your mind, to your heart, that one person, that two people, that three, the lost sheep, the family member, the friend, the colleague. And I pray that you start just bringing them before the Lord. No, don't go and share the love of God with them first. Bring them to the Lord first. Bring them to the Lord first and say, Lord, I want to be part of this. I have my one. I want to save this one. Can you help me, Lord? Can you help me? So I pray in the name of Jesus that the Lord will be with you. Even as Jesus told the disciples, as the Father sent me, I send you. So now, as the Father has sent me, has given me this message, I send you too to save the one and to bring that one home to the Father. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen.